0: Welcome to the HCC podcast. Our mission is to nurture love for God, love for self, and love for others as the highest goal of humanity. May the following message nurture that love in your life. And remember, you're always welcome at HCC. It's a perfect church for less than perfect people. Peace. We're in our second part of our series on the kingdom of God and you, the kingdom of God and and you so what i want you to do is make sure you get your app out you're following along in the sermon notes it's got all of the scriptures in there you're going to be thinking yeah i'll just read them on the screen steve guess what faking you out today there's scriptures in the app that are not in the going to be on the screen you're going to have to actually pick up a real bible and actually open it up that thing in front of you and most of your chairs is actually a book and it's called the bible And so if you want to pick it up and use it, it'll be great. But this series is part two, and if you're at all confused with any of the things that I talk about today, uh, you can just track back in our app or on our website or YouTube or Facebook and see last Sunday's part one, and that'll clear up any confusion that you will have. And so here's the key point from last Sunday and Saturday's sermon. Here's the key point. The Christian life of apprenticing Jesus is not a matter of trying harder, but training better. Training is the key to Christian faith, not trying. Training is the key to Christian faith, not trying. You may have had coaches in your life or teachers in your life or parents in your life that just kept yelling at you, try harder, you're not trying hard enough. It's much more likely that it wasn't about trying, it was much more about training. You needed to train better, not necessarily try harder. So let's talk about actively training in the Spirit. And soul training is nothing new. So we're going to go to a scripture in 1 Timothy Chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. No offense, wives. Didn't mean any offense. Scripture doesn't mean any offense by that. Just saying, just you know, old silly stories. Could be old husbands' tales. It doesn't matter. But godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train. Circle that. Highlight that. Note that to yourself. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good but training for godliness is much better promising benefits get this in this life and in the life to come. It's about here and now and also about then and there. What's so cool about this particular passage is that the Greek word here, and if you didn't know, the original Bible was written, New Testament was written in the language of Greek. And so the Greek word here for training is gymnazo. Gymnazo. Does anything seem... We're talking about training. We're talking about, uh, and then this word is gymnazo. It's where we get our word gymnasium from. It's going to the gym. And this word actually means in the original language, vigorous exercise. It's a verb. It's an action word. Now, imagining, expecting to get into shape, physically by just showing up at the gym you don't do anything you just show up and you just kind of walk around you get your really cool fabletics outfit and your under armor and you put it all on and you wander around and you know and you're just moseying around the gym. How many of you are expecting to really tone up and lose weight and get in shape and bring your blood pressure down by just simply showing up at the gym? Right. If you're not engaged in a program, a strategy, of vigorous exercise in the gymnazzle, then you are not really doing what you are expecting to really get out of it. And I want to invite you into the understanding that if you kind of just come to church and you just mosey around and you just kind of passively engage it and you don't really have any strategy of vigorously exercising your soul, then you're probably going to simply remain where you are spiritually for a very, very long time. This is what this scripture is talking about. Let's talk about Ephesians chapter four verses 21 through 24. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off. I love that translation there. Throw off. That's an active word. Your old, sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on. That's a different kind of action. Throw off is one thing. Put on is another thing. Your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Look at these words. Throw off and put on. Both these words are describing some kind of intentional soul activity. Now, the reality is, is that if I were to... If I were to drape this snake around my wife's neck, do you think she'd put it on or throw it off? Very much so. If I put this thing around her neck, it would... Don't be scared, Steve. It's not real. She would throw it off. What is it, when you get a, last week, you're not, I don't know if you'll believe me or not, but last week I went in to just do last minute prep to get myself together, you know, before I came on the chancel, and I was doing something with my microphone and fixing it, and a really big wasp crawled right up out of the neck of my shirt onto my neck. Is that something you would just gently allow to go wherever it wanted to go? I mean, you would probably throw it off. That's the idea. The sinful nature is so dangerous, is so bad, you are throwing it off. But if I gave my wife a beautiful necklace of precious jewels, I'm not, but if I did, I just imagine I did. She'll have to imagine that I did. She'll, she'll, she wouldn't throw it on she wouldn't toss it up in the air and try to get underneath of it and throw it on. She would gently and, uh, you know, very, very gingerly, you know, put it on and, and, and you know, wa- model it. It would be just, it would be a very different kind of experience. But the reality is that we need to know is that we are to throw off our old nature and to put on our new nature. And if we're going to do that, it's going to be really, really helpful if we know what a soul is. I still hear, I literally on a recent flight heard the stewardess say, how many souls do we have on board? 147 souls on board, thank you. Click, hung up at the phone. You hear, you know, if there's a plane wreck, 347 souls, you know, perish. And, you know, we, we say that, What what is a soul? We say, oh, well, bless your soul. What, what, what is a soul? Do you know there's a, Kia makes a car called a soul? Did you know that? But what is a soul? I really agree with Dallas Willard's notion of the soul when he says, at any given moment, you are being run by your soul. Not your mind. Not your feelings, not your circumstances, but your soul. I agree with that. Our life is dependent on the health of our soul. So here is how I understand the human soul. I'm going to go through a, a series of animations that's going to bring you into what I believe biblically is the fullness of the soul, the whole person. And I'll be going over this in depth much more on Wednesday at seven o'clock in the gathering place. So if you're interested in a much deeper dive into this. Subject, you want to come out on Wednesday or go online on Wednesday and check out the midweek Oasis Bible study that I do at 7 o'clock on Wednesday. First one is the will, the heart, spirit. You can reference Romans 8, 8 through 9 on that. Our will is the epicenter of choice. And as our epicenter, it was created to surrender to God's will. And once surrendered to God's will, the effects of that surrender would ripple out into all of creation and all other parts of the soul... And there are several parts of the soul. So the epicenter within the human being is created to surrender to God's will. So that that surrendering of God's will might ripple out into all other areas of that person's soul. Doing God's will on earth as it's done in heaven. However, when we surrendered instead to Satan or sinfulness... In Genesis 3, our will is now disoriented. Choosing self-will rather than God's will and the effects of that choice now ripple out through the entire person, the entire soul and into the earth doing the self's will on earth as it is in hell not heaven. So when we see the rippling of the will of the self out through the entire person's life, it's a life of, of what I would consider the Scripture saying is a hell, hellish life, a hell-bent life, rather than a heavenly or a heaven-bent life. And I think you would have to admit that our human will is weak, it is weak in surrendering to the bully of sin or Satan and, it, and needs retraining. Our soul needs retraining if it's going to learn again the pattern and the habitual practice, the natural response to surrender again to God's will. Because ultimately, originally, the human will was conditioned, was created to surrender to God's will. So now we're recovering our original human tendency to surrender to God's will rather than our will. This is a retraining process of the human soul. Listen to Paul describe our situation in Romans 6. This is again another passage in your app, not on the screen. Romans 6, verse 19. Because of the weakness of your human nature, listen to that, because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all of this. Previously, you let. Get that? You let. That means you chose. Out of the epicenter of your will, you chose your self-will, the sinful nature, to be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led even deeper into sin, now... Now that you are a follower of Jesus, you must give, meaning you choose again, you retrain your will to give yourselves to be slaves to something entirely different, to an authority that is entirely different, to righteous living so that you will become holy. Training your will is the key to being a disciple. Training your will is the key to being a disciple. Everything else, according to Matthew 6, verse 33, everything else will fall into place as your will is retrained to surrender more and more to the Spirit of God, not to the Spirit of sin and sinfulness. So soul training is primarily an exercise in surrender. Surrender you're you're you will not get lucky with this it's not like you're going to wake up tomorrow and it's all of a sudden easy to surrender to god's will that's not going to happen it's not like you're going to be able to just come to the altar in one fell swoop of a prayer all of a sudden now it's just easy for the rest of your life to stop surrendering to sin and surrender to god's will No, it's going to take a consistent, methodical, pragmatic retraining of your soul, of the epicenter of your will to surrender to God's will. What's next? It's the mind and its feelings. Ultimately, the mind coming before feelings, but it's the mind and feelings. This is where we figure out how and what to surrender. Our will is weak. Our mind helps us strategize in how to surrender and what to surrender and when to surrender and what we would do to to figure out how to surrender. The idea is to train our minds in such a way that God's will becomes our will. This is an interactive process of the will and the mind. Feelings generally follow thought generally follow thought you think of your your child you think of you know, the Ravens winning last night, you think of, you know, your uh, apple pie, you think of holidays coming up, and all of a sudden you have these goodwill feelings. You think of Monday, tomorrow, getting up, going to work, you know, bad feelings. So you think of things and your feelings kind of follow. So when our mind trains to obey God's will, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, and we feel more and more. Get it? We feel, we renew by the by the retraining of our mind and then we feel more and more the fruit of the spirit we feel more love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness self control we feel more of those things because our will and our mind are working together to do God's will and our feelings are far more these feelings than all the opposite of those feelings. So, so that's how our mind and our will interact in order to perpetuate feelings in our life. Often we as human beings think, well, I don't own my feelings except the good ones. The really good ones like like the compassion feelings and the loving feelings I own those but all my anger and all my bitterness and all my resentment well that's everybody else's fault we 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 think like that other people think like that you make me so angry just push back and say I don't make you anything what no I don't make you anything you own your anger that's not fair, because <laughs> I want to blame you. I don't want to be responsible. That's how we live our life in so many ways. We don't see the networking and the integration of the will and the mind and feelings all together. And when they are in a godly disposition, we don't blame anybody else for our feelings. We own every one of them. And we own them in a sense that we want them to be the fruit feelings of the scripture love and joy and peace and patience, do those feelings characterize your life? If not, maybe there's something wrong with your mind and your will working together to strategize to figure out how to be the epicenter of your soul. So that's why I'm sharing this today, but be very, very clear. I need to say something very, very clearly when we talk about the mind, because in our enlightened age, in our Western culture, we love to live in our mind. We, we consider the mind the ultimate pinnacle of everything. The mind to many of us is the epicenter of our life. But listen carefully. God is not something to be thought. God is someone to be loved. God is not something to be thought. God is someone to love. Thinking God Is not the goal of soul training loving God is the goal of soul training so let's talk about body our body our body is the vehicle of expression for how we feel if if you're angry does your body show it I would imagine so your body shows it and uh, just ask your spouse How does, how does, say, hey, how does my body show that I'm angry? Perhaps by throwing that at me, you know, that kind of thing. So, I mean, it's some kind of way that we communicate, whether it's through our voice or our facial expression or what we do with our body, you know, we we feel often based on how we think, and we think based on how we surrender our will to God's will. So let me say this again. We feel often based on how we think. We think based on how we surrender our will to God's will. Listen to these verses as they describe the interaction between the will, mind, and body. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. Some of you say, we can do anything we want. Ever heard a teenager say that? <laughs> I can do anything I want. You know? Yes, well like a parent god is saying here but i tell you that not everything is good for us so i refuse to let i love that phrase i refuse to let that's a choice that's the will and the mind working together to have feelings to refuse to let anything have power over me that's when you say to some other person you know uh you know if you're if you're if they're saying you know you're a jerk you're an idiot you're no good you're worthless and you say I don't believe you. That's you having power over you, not letting anyone else have power over you. When the devil comes to you and wants to shame you and tell you, you're a bad person, God could never love you, you had an abortion, you're divorced, you know, you're, you're, you're in a train wreck of a relationship, you know, look at you, you can't even, you know, you, you keep surrendering to sin, you're a miserable person, God can't sin, you're never going to get to heaven, no way. You just say, I don't, I don't believe you. It's you taking power back from the devil, back from your sin, back from other people, back from your culture, and back from your parents, back from whatever, your school teachers, and you take it back. So, Paul is saying, so I refuse to let anything have power over me. You also say food is meant for our bodies, and our bodies are meant for food, but I tell you that God will destroy them both. We are not supposed to do indecent things with our bodies. We are to use them for the Lord who is in charge of our bodies." Did you hear how the will and the mind and the body interact? And this is surely not a really neat, clean, linear process. It's a dynamic one that's flowing and moving. And that's why we need a serious soul training program. Not some whimsical, haphazard kind of, I hope I get lucky kind of thing. But a serious soul training program because this is such a dynamic process an interaction of all of these things. The will, the mind, the feelings, the body. They interact all together. Don't let this diagram you know, fool you into thinking everything's really neat and clean and has these nice little boundaries. James chapter 1, verse 14. Temptation comes from our own desires. What's that? The heart and the will, which entice us and drag us away. That's the mind and the feelings. Verse 15. These desires give birth to sinful actions. What's that? Body behavior. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death physically spiritually socially our body is where our will mind and feeling express themselves and only soul training that engages the body forms holy habits that help the will and the mind do what pleases God we must engage our body as a means of retraining our soul because Romans 7.23 tells us that sin is in our bodies. And if we don't use our bodies to train our soul well, then we will continue to struggle with becoming more and more like Christ. And listen carefully. This is really important too. Bad habits of personality, what is that? That's just uncontrolled anger. That's just being nasty, negative attitudes, easily offended, hypersensitivity to everything. You know, you're just walking around with none of those exhibits of the fruit of the Spirit. It's always negative, frustration, anger, misery, everything's bad. We walk around muttering to ourselves all the time. This is what I'm talking about. Bad habits of personality will not be reformed by correct doctrine. Bad habits of personality will not be reformed by correct doctrine. Just because you think correctly regarding doctrine does not mean you've corrected your personality. You can't think yourself holy; However, you can train yourself wholly. So let's look at the social life. We are created for each other. The first thing the Bible calls bad in creation is that human beings were alone. Go back and read it for yourself. Humans were created to live in community because community confirms and corrects the soul. That's why we were created in community. In fact, we can't really be ourselves by ourselves. We can't really be ourselves by... That's why this pandemic is so dangerous. So much isolation so much social soul distancing it's dangerous we can't really be ourselves by ourselves listen to this Robert Putnam professor of sociology from Harvard wrote a book several years ago called bowling alone in his research he found that people with good physical health habits that lived in isolation were significantly more likely to die of avoidable disease than people who had really bad physical health habits but lived in community. Let me say that one more time. He did this research and he discovered that people who had really good health habits, good supplements, ate well, good balanced diet, exercise, slept regularly, all those things, hydrated well but lived in isolation, they were more likely to die of avoidable diseases than people who had really, really poor health habits physically but they lived in community so what's the moral of the research what's the moral of this story that it's better to eat Twinkies with friends than it is broccoli alone. It is better to eat Twinkies with friends than broccoli alone. Putnam also found that church small group movements the church small group movement has been revolutionary for human flourishing within the context of church communities in researching churches that had small group programs thriving small group programs he found that if a person joined and met regularly with a small group they cut their chances of dying in half that statistic go back and read it for yourself is just crazy So, what do we learn from this small group-oriented program, systematic-oriented research? It's this. Join rooted or die. (laughs) Thank you. Join rooted or die. All right. Uh, The soul is the last circle here and it encompasses everything else. Everything else is dynamically moving around within this grand circle of the soul. You are your soul. Your life is your soul. Your soul includes all of you. You were created as a holistic being. And all of these faculties are to be dynamically integrated within your soul and require dedicated strategic soul training. You are your soul. Let's take a look at this passage in Matthew. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet to forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone exchange for their soul? I've always thought of this as some kind of passage. If you go spend your life on wild living and drugs and alcohol and all kinds of carousing, you're going to go to hell. You're going to lose your soul. What Jesus is really attempting to get at in the context of all this is that whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're living raucously or a lot of you, if you do not recognize that life and soul are the same thing, you have missed the point. The word for life and soul in this screen, on this screen, the word for life and soul is the same word, suke. It's the same word. The soul is all of us everything bless the lord oh my soul and all that is within me sin desires to disconnect the parts of the soul the sinful soul is a disintegrated soul where sex has nothing to do with our soul or we don't see work as shaping our soul We are in delusion when we believe this. If we imagine that we come to church to deal with our soul and then we leave and we go watch TV and we go eat and then we go to work the next day and we work over the week, you know. And then maybe when we go to Wednesday night, midweek oasis or a Bible study or small group, then we're back touching our soul again. We read the Bible. We're doing a soul thing. Now we're over here doing gardening. It has nothing to do with our soul. Then there's sex and then there's eating and then there's drinking and then there's sleeping and we don't think any of those things. We're all over the place in all these little isolated circles and we don't understand Understand that life is soul soul is life disconnecting the body from feelings or the feelings from the will or separating the soul from our social work or play life is sin the sin of missing the mark of the originally intended created purpose for human beings which was a holistic creature you were created to live in dynamic integration of all of these things, the epicenter being doing the will of God as it ripples out through all of these dimensions of your life. Your soul includes your whole life. Let's take a look at James chapter 1, verse 8 and 4, 8. Such, persons, such, such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Do you think that's a good thing? No. <laughs> He's not talking about a good thing. Come, uh, four, chapter 4, verse 8, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What is so bad about being double-minded? It's the word choice. Double-minded, dipsukos, in the original Greek, from the root words, dis. For double and suke for soul. What is what does he mean? Translation: the worst thing you can possibly do is be double-souled, split-souled, fractured soul, dissociated soul. All of these dimensions of soul is our life. We were created to interact with each other for the sake of doing God's will. All of these dimensions of that circle were interacting for the sake of doing God's will on earth as it is in heaven, like thinking and feeling and behaving and socializing and working and playing, all for God's glory. These dimensions are not stand-alone unto themselves. You were created as an integrated creature. Discipleship is not learning Or doing more, it's about being more. Discipleship is not about intellectual uptake. It's not about getting out there and doing some other job in the church. It's primarily, discipleship is primarily about being more. By training our soul towards this holistic integration where we love God more and more with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our body, with all of our soul. So, good soul training includes each dimension of our soul for the sake of this holistic integration. And what happens in the life of a believer who does that? They will begin to live the spirit-led life they will begin to lead a spirit-led life where the spirit cuts through all of these dimensions and interacts with all of these dimensions and brings a continuity of life together that is in the spirit. Now, I hope what you're thinking right now, I hope you're thinking, okay, Dr. Steve, so, uh, so what? Where do I start my soul training? I'm very glad you asked. Would you watch this video? good morning soul family my name is rick harris and i'm jamie harris as pastor steve has been teaching us apprenticeship is not about trying harder but training better rooted is your Soul training base camp if you're ready to train better an opportunity to enroll in rooted has arrived the fall session starts september 12th and if you're wondering about the rooted experience ask an hcc soul family member who has experience and celebrated a previous session of Rooted. So, are you ready to start the first leg of your journey in your apprenticeship journey? If so, make sure to register by August 29th, next Sunday, at the link provided. Have a great Sunday. You can register for Rooted, actually, uh, by hitting this QR code. You can go to your app. You can register in the next 60 seconds if you want to do that, if you want to actually engage in gymnazo in vigorously exercising your soul for God. We have got a gym for you, and it's called Rooted. So I hope you'll engage the Rooted process. If you've already been through Rooted and you want to go a little bit further and engage a little bit further, I want to encourage you to consider picking up this book. We've looked at it before. It's an opportunity for you and I to engage deeper in the things of God. This means that we'll learn about God and we'll learn good soul training exercises that are actually at the back of each chapter in this particular book. So I'm hoping that you'll engage these two things as a matter of soul training. If you're a Christian, training to live as a citizen in God's kingdom is your primary work. My work of apprenticing Jesus is to become the kind of person that Jesus would be if Jesus were me. My work is my soul training goal is to become the kind of person that Jesus would be if Jesus were me. The greatest gift you can give to your children, the greatest gift you can give to your spouse is not what you do for them, it's not what you give to them, but it's the person you become. It's the person you're becoming. And the only way to become the person that Christ has always dreamed of you being is getting into a soul training rhythm and habit and continuing to grow and learn. That's how you do it. Would you stand with me?